Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, my name is Josh Bertram, uh, the discipleship pastor here at Grace Crossing Church. It's great to have you here. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I spoke last week and I spoke this week, and I started to get this feeling that maybe pastor's mad at me because of the verses that he's given me to talk on. You'll, you'll know what I mean here in a minute. Um, but I'm just kidding. It's a privilege to be able to speak to you guys today in honor. And we're in our last week of the Twisted series. And in this series, we've been looking at different verses that have been twisted. Uh, historically, they've been taken out of context. Uh, context is extremely important when it comes to understanding what the Bible says to us. And so we need to understand how to look at the context and what different verses say. Uh, they are meaningless in one sense outside of their context. They don't have the meaning they're supposed to have. So we're always looking at those things, trying to understand. We're asking, what does the verse mean? Um, you know, why does it matter? And what do we do in response to those? We'll try to answer that this morning for a, a verse that is very, very, um, I don't know what to say. It's been very misinterpreted over the years, it seems like. And it's actually found in Matthew 12, verse 31. And uh, it says, and so I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. The gasp. <gasps> Jesus won't forgive a sin, okay? So yes, we'll talk about that here, but I want to uh, ask you this morning, do we have any comic book fans in the house? Thumbs up if you're a comic book fan. All right, DC, DC Comics, anyone? Oh, ouch. Marvel? We got a few, all right, a few faithful, all right? DC and Marvel, well, you know, I don't really read comic books, but I like the movies. Sorry, you can boo me later, all right? Um, I like the movies, and one of my favorite movies, um, DC comic, if I get it wrong, then I'm sorry, uh, is The Dark Knight, Joker, Batman. And I've always loved Batman growing up, and uh, one of my favorite characters, and but The Dark Knight, the movie that recently came out, I love it because the acting is just amazing. The plot line is fantastic as far as I'm concerned. And there's this amazing tension and conflict between Batman and the Joker. And the Joker's just crazy. And Batman's trying to figure it out. Bruce Wayne's trying to figure it out. And there's just a scene where Bruce Wayne is in his subterranean you know, uh, facility with all his weapons and advanced technology around him, and he's like, Alfred, <laughs> I need to figure out this guy, this Joker. And Alfred, oh, Alfred, he's so wise, isn't he? He's like, Mr. Wayne. Like, and he tells this profound story, and he goes, sometimes people just want to watch the world burn. And it's this amazing <laughs> line, because Bruce Wayne's there. He's trying to figure the Joker out. Oh, criminals are easy to figure out. He's trying to figure him out, but it's escaping him because he can't figure out the motivation. It's not money. It's not anything else. It's just pure chaos and evil. Now imagine that we were to take the entire concept of evil out of the story. And we were to take the entire concept of good and bad out of the story. It would almost render the entire plot meaningless, wouldn't it? I mean, what if we're like, well, Joker, he's just misunderstood, you know? Or he's just misconstrued. 
Well, no, that's not what the whole idea behind the story is. Behind, the idea behind the story is the joker's evil. And yeah, there's all sorts of things that led him to be who he is, but he is, he is evil. He is doing evil things, and there is clear good, clear bad in this story um, with the Batman and the Joker as they fight in this amazing battle against one another. And actually, that idea, the theme of good versus evil is obviously a very popular theme in the history of story. It's all over the place. The good, the bad, evil, right and wrong, it's there. And sometimes in the moral imagination of our culture, we struggle with the idea of evil, that it's real. But Jesus and the disciples and the apostles and those who wrote the books of the Old and New Testament, the 66 books of what we call the Bible, they didn't struggle with that concept. They understood that there was good and that there was clearly bad. There was right and there was wrong. There was evil and then there was good. And Jesus was on the side of good. And if you wanted to be on the side of good, on the side of what's right and righteous, you were on the side of Jesus. And I know that in our culture we've struggled with that idea, especially in the last few decades. But again, Jesus didn't struggle with that idea. And if we want to understand our verse, Matthew 12, 21, about the blasphemy of the uh, Holy Spirit, we have to understand the concepts of the good and evil coming together and the, the clash between them. And see, context is so important when it comes to this verse, because this verse has been made to, for people to be in fear, right? Just great fear. I remember as a kid hearing this verse, and it's a great verse. You want to scare your kids? Parents, come on. It's a good one. You're going to commit blasphemy against, you know, and you can't be forgiven for that, all right? You can scare them really bad. But that wasn't what Jesus was necessarily trying to do, give us a good verse to scare our kids into obedience with. No, it's far more profound than that, and we need to understand what this says, and it's been misinterpreted, and a lot of people maybe here have grown up in fear, like, oh man, did I commit the blasphemy? I'm not forgiven, and they're scared, sweating bullets, right? Not knowing what's going on. And some of you here are like, I don't even know what blasphemy means. Well, we'll get to that. That's okay. But it's an extremely important verse. And understanding context, we have to understand just a few verses before and, and see what it says. And it's Matthew 12, 22 through 24. And it says, then they, and they refers to the crowd that had been following Jesus and Jesus had been healing them and setting them free from addiction and from the power of Satan. And uh, it says, they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? I mean, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the guy we're waiting for, the one, the chosen one, the one who's going to save us? When the Pharisees heard this, they say it is only by Beelzebul. You guys like that word? That's a good one to put into your repertoire of insults after today, all right? It says, only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Beelzebul is essentially another name for Satan. Satan, the great, greatest power of evil in the world, in the universe. And so that's where this starts. Jesus is addressing an issue. He's just healed a demon-possessed man, set him free. 
and he's addressing um, this challenge by the Pharisees. They're accusing him of not setting this man free by the power of God, but by the power of God's enemy, Satan. And when we look at this verse, it's, not, it's important to see that context, but it's also even more important to see what comes after this verse in some sense. And if you just go 10 um, verses later, Matthew 12, 33, this is Jesus and he's addressing the Pharisees' challenge and the Pharisees with this religious group that um, were, were uh, kind of like super conservative. You know, they were the ones who held, you know, the truth and and held in a righteousness for those around. They were leaders, religious leaders of the time, and he's addressing them. And he says, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, another one to add to your repertoire. I'm hooking you guys up today. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks, get this, what the heart is full of. A good man, man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man or woman brings evil things out of the evil stored up in them. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now maybe it's just the lights up here, guys, but I start sweating when I read this verse. But when you start thinking about what Jesus is talking about, he says something so profound that we cannot miss. And it just puts the verse totally in the right context. What we say is the fruit. It is the physical, real manifestation of what's happening in our heart. Fruit is the visible sign of the, of the quality and condition of the root system and the inside of the tree. In the same way, our words are, it is the visible sign to others, the real sign, outward sign of the condition and quality of our heart. Now, maybe, you know, you've been in this scenario before. We have a teenage son or daughter who comes home late. They didn't uh, keep curfew. And you ask them, why are you late? And you're upset at them. And instead of saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been late, dad or mom, they just roll their eyes, turn around and walk away. And something happens inside that gets you so angry and you start just piling on insults and curse words on them. And then they are hurt and they run upstairs and they slam the door behind them and you're sitting there as the dust is settling thinking, what just happened? Well, your words revealed something in your heart. There's something that was ugly in there. There's something that was dirty, something that was wrong. And those words that you came out in that moment, they reveal something about you. You don't like being disrespected. And whenever you're disrespected by someone you don't think should disrespect you, you react in anger and in rage. And your words reflect what's happening in the heart. They are a barometer. They show more than just about anything else what is going on in here. And they will reveal what's going on. And so when Jesus says, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven, blasphemy is slander. 
It's actually a word that's used that means slander. And to slander someone is to say something false or to say something wrong or to attribute something that isn't right to them in order to ruin their reputation with others, in order to destroy their good name. And blasphemy is a spoken thing. Slander is a spoken thing. But it's not just the words. Jesus isn't just talking about the words, although we need to be careful what they say. He's saying, what do the words reveal? The words reveal the heart. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit means there is a blasphemous heart that is speaking it. There is a heart that is resistant against God in his word. So when we understand what this verse really says, it doesn't say that if you slip up or if you take God's name in vain or you do something that you're going straight to hell in a handbasket. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that your words reveal what's in your heart and if your heart will not give in, will not become softened to the work of God, then you are on a bad path. Slander. It reveals, it reveals the heart, what we say about God. So this verse doesn't mean that, you know, if you just slip up in your words, you're a goner. Or if you do something mysterious that God doesn't tell you, but he's just waiting for you to do it, he's going to drop the hammer on you. No, you have to understand it in its context. So if this verse doesn't say that it's some mysterious sin that everyone's afraid they're going to commit, or if it doesn't say that if you slip up in your words, you're going to be condemned forever, it doesn't say that. It it talks about the heart. It goes to the heart. Then what does this verse actually tell us? Why does it actually matter? Well, I think this verse gives us real principles by which we can judge and understand our hearts before God. And the first one is found in Matthew 12, 30. It gives this amazing principle for us that whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Here's what Jesus is saying here. You cannot be neutral when it comes to Jesus. Now imagine um, that I'm with my wife and you're watching a conversation of ours and she's saying, you know, she did a great job singing up there. She's cute and great and amazing. Love you, babe. All right, and... um, that I'm with her and we're talking. She's like, you know, I'm just not feeling your love. You're not giving me what I need, the attention I need. You're not, you're not helping me out right now. You're not speaking my love language. You're not, you know, doing what I need right now. And I say, eh, I'm indifferent to that. All right, I could, I could take you or I could leave you. It doesn't matter. I'm really indifferent to you. I'm neutral when it comes to you. Now, everyone in here would hear that word, and they think, ooh, he's in trouble. And then I would be, because what does it actually mean? If I'm indifferent when it comes to my wife, what that actually means is I don't love her. So when it comes to Christ, which is supposed to be the most important relationship we have, and we talked about that last week. You can go listen to the podcast if you weren't here. But when it comes to our relationship with Christ, that's supposed to be the most important relationship. And so how, in our most deeply held relationships, the most important relationship, can we be neutral? How can we be indifferent? See, when it comes to Jesus, to be neutral, to not be with him, by default means to be against him. And so when we understand this verse, we've got to understand a blasphemous heart is not, it can't be neutral. It is against Jesus Christ. It is a heart that is, had to set itself up in rebellion against God and Jesus Christ. Persistent 
rebellion. We can't be neutral and indifferent when it comes to our own hearts. Guys, and many times we like to think God is indifferent to us because if God really cared that much, then he's got something to say about our lives. But he's not indifferent. God proved that when he sent Jesus Christ. He's not indifferent. He's not neutral when it comes to you. So we shouldn't be indifferent when it comes to him. That's the first principle I think we get from this verse today. And, and the second principle that we get from this verse today is, um, is a really important one. It's actually found in our verse. It's Matthew 12, 31. And it's the first part of the verse. It says, so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Now, I love this because when we look at this verse, Matthew 12, 21, uh, 31, and this, is a, this is the first part of it, oftentimes we just focus on the second part. Like, oh, there's a sin God won't forgive. What a jerk. He won't, he won't forgive that sin. I don't know what it is, but he won't forgive it. And we completely ignore the first part of this verse. And how profound the truth is here that Jesus says every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. When you're sitting there and your mind is being trapped by the images that you continue to allow to flood into your home on the computer screen, Jesus is sitting there in the midst of the shame and guilt, ready to forgive you. When you wake up on the morning after the frat party and you don't even know what happened last night, Jesus is in the middle of that moment standing there ready to forgive you. When you lie to your mom and dad, when you lie to your spouse, when you lie to your friends, Jesus is in the middle of that moment ready to forgive you. Some of us need to do a mental recording of our last week and all the things that we've done against God that we felt the shame, the guilt about in our hearts and we need to see Jesus in the middle of that moment, not condemning, not hating, not getting angry, not getting ready for the hammer to drop, but forgiving and holding and embracing and loving. Jesus will forgive any and every sin. His work on the cross is enough. It's sufficient. It is adequate to cleanse you and to give you the forgiveness and freedom you need for anything you've done at any time in your life. Jesus will forgive any and every sin. And not only that, but Jesus has secured victory over all powers in this world. In Matthew 12, 29, Jesus is speaking. He says again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Now, when you look at this, you've got to ask, well, who's a strong man and who's all that stuff? Well, Jesus had already answered that. Remember how this began. Jesus set a demon-possessed man free. Now, this wasn't a mental health issue. This wasn't something they said back then. This guy was under the control of an evil spiritual force. And I know that makes us uncomfortable. I get it. It makes me uncomfortable. I know culturally we freak out about that which is interesting to me because of all the supernatural stuff we have in the media, vampires and zombies and all the movies and crazy stuff out there, and yet, oh, we don't believe that stuff. Anyway, it's just weird. But this is a reality, and when you take on 
the discipleship of Jesus Christ, when you begin to follow him, you adopt a worldview that, is not, that says that this, what we see and touch and feel in our five senses isn't all there is. There's something beyond it. And there is an, a realm of spiritual evil. And there is a being called Satan. And Satan has unparalleled power except for one person, Jesus Christ. And there is real evil. Satan's not misunderstood. He is evil. And he hates the people of God. And he hates God. And he is God's enemy at every single turn. And what the significance of this is, is that Jesus has come into this moment and he said, you don't have to worry about your greatest enemy anymore because I've already bound him. He has no power over you. Because I have come in and bound the strong man and now I can do whatever I want. I can plunder whatever I want. And some of us have allowed in our minds and hearts to do all different things. Maybe we did Ouija boards when we were a kid or maybe we got really obsessed with witchcraft and the occult or maybe we just love, we watch way too many horror movies. All right? And we've allowed our hearts to get entangled in some bad stuff and we have nightmares and 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 we're struggling and we feel this darkness around us it happens guys it happens more than we think and jesus stands ready to set anyone under the bondage of satan free he is the stronger than the strong man he has bound him up Nothing can stand between the love of Christ and you this morning. Not even your greatest enemy. And so what we have to ask ourselves is where in my heart have I allowed the influence of evil in? And I need to ask God this morning to free me, to help me. We'd love to pray with you afterwards, after the baptisms and everything, if that's your case this morning. There's another principle that I think we see here that's extremely important. It's the second part. We're finally at the the meat of this uh, verse that we talked about. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, what we have to see here is we understood this is an issue of the heart. We've understood that this is a place where someone becomes resistant to God in their heart. So what exactly is the the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think there's a place that gives us insight, and it's in Matthew 12, and it's uh, uh, verse 25. And it says, Jesus knew the thoughts. The Pharisees were accusing him of being uh, Beelzebul, by the power of Beelzebul. And he said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Sorry, Lincoln, Jesus said it first. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Now pay attention here. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is saying, look, this isn't Satan. This is God. I am God. The second person of the Trinity has come down, put on flesh, and the power of God is present among you. And if I'm doing these miracles, and that means you don't have to wait for the kingdom of God. It's here. The power of God is here. And so if you're resisting me, then you're resisting God himself. 
If you set your heart up against me, you've set your heart up against God himself. You've actually made yourself, put yourself in a position against God who is holy and great and amazing. And that is a dangerous position to be in when you start thinking that the work of God means the work of Satan. There is something wrong in the heart there. And Jesus is saying, the presence of God is here with me. I am God. I have power. I have defeated the enemy. I have defeated death. I have defeated Satan. Do not resist God. And so the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a heart that is resistant to the work of God till death's door. A heart that is so bound up with hatred for God or so bound up against him that it will not admit that it needs forgiveness. A heart that's so bound up that it's constantly, constantly resisting the work of God in our hearts. So let me tell you something here this morning. If you're actually even concerned as I'm preaching here today and talking that you have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, then you haven't. Because someone who has done that, a heart that is like that would not be concerned at all. Because a heart like that doesn't think they need forgiveness. They don't think they need what Christ did on the cross for them. The only the only way we will not be forgiven by Christ is if we will not receive the forgiveness of Christ. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a heart that refuses to receive the forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ. And the reason this, uh, for this is very, very important. Hebrews 10, 26 It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone who deserves to be punished, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Now, that's a packed verse, and I'm going to unpack it in 10 seconds. God set up a system for forgiveness to be made. Sin is really serious. And God set up a system for us to be able to do it in the Old Testament through the sacrifice of animals. Now, Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice. And see, there's nothing beyond him. The the reason that if we reject the forgiveness offered and the grace offered by God until death's door that we have committed the unforgivable sin is not because God is angry and bad and mean and is a jerk. No, it's because we have in our hearts resisted the only offer that there is. See, Jesus isn't the only way because the Father sent him. The Father sent him because Jesus is the only way. There isn't another one. And instead of looking at this and being like, man, God, how can you be so exclusive? We should be jumping with joy that God cared enough about us to actually give us the only way there was. That he didn't leave us in sin and shame and guilt, but that he provided a way through Christ. 
So we see that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit's not taking God's name in vain, and we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't curse with God's name. It's not, you know, it's not just saying the wrong thing. It's not even doing terrible stuff. God, God stands ready to forgive. No, it's a heart that is so resistant against God that it refuses to accept the forgiveness offered to all of us here this morning. And so, what do, how do we respond to this verse this morning? The band's going to play a song for us. But how do, how do we respond to this verse this morning? Well, we need to examine our hearts. We need to ask ourselves, am I for God? You know, before everything else, we need to be for Jesus. Am I for God or am I neutral about him? What areas in my life am I resisting the work of God? Maybe there's a persistent sin, a persistent issue of guilt that you have dealt with for a long time right now and you've given up or you've pushed it aside or you've never talked to anybody about it. You've never made a confession about it. You've never talked to anybody or asked God to come in or brought accountability into your life. We shouldn't treat that lightly, guys. We should treat that with the utmost urgency. God stands ready to forgive any and every sin. We don't have to be perfect. He was perfect for us, but we have to come to him because forgiveness that is not received is forgiveness that is not effective in our life. In order to be forgiven, we must accept that forgiveness in order to receive it. And in order for it to be effective, we must receive it. If we don't receive it, it is not effective. And so today, we examine our hearts. We're going to go into communion after a song, but we need to examine our hearts. And during this song, as we sing about God's amazing grace, as we move into communion and then baptism, celebrating someone who has received the grace of God, and there's great joy in that, I pray that we all would just examine ourselves and ask God where he wants us to change, how he wants us to respond. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like Amazing grace, the Lord, the Lord.
reminder the bread that represents the body the juice or fruit of the vine that represents the blood represents what Jesus did for us that he didn't leave us alone that he knew he was the way and he knew that the way would be hard but he did it anyway freely Without being loved first or cared for first by us. I love this because as we take this, it gives us an opportunity to look into our hearts and be honest. If you know, if you ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what he wants you to do, he'll he'll tell you. If you ask him where he's hurt by your sin, he'll tell you. So often we resist that. We don't want to ask the question because we don't want to hear the answer, but we don't need to be afraid. He's not asking that question to condemn us. He's asking that question to set us free. And some of us need freedom this morning. And we need to take the first step. And the first step in responding to this as we eat this bread and, and, and communion, if, you, if you're here and, and you're not a believer, it's okay. We're glad you're here. You, you don't need to feel like you need to take communion. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't. But as those who follow Christ today, this bread will represent to us. And as we take it together and as we crunch down on the cracker, I want us to think about and ask the question, God, where in my heart am I resisting you this morning? And he will tell you. You might ignore it. I know I have. But he will tell you. Some of you are going to need to make a phone call after this. Set up coffee. Find a friend. And you're just going to need to lay your heart out. That's okay. Jesus will never ever reject a heart coming to him looking for forgiveness. All sin, every kind can be forgiven.
Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.